Kathleen Demlow's children wanted to make sure that their mother was not forgotten. And so when she passed away in 2018, they wrote an obituary that made news around the world. I won't read the whole obituary to you, but after a few details of Kathleen's life, they concluded the obituary this way. She passed away on May 31st, 2018 in Springfield and will now face judgment. She will not be missed by her children, Gina and Jay, and they understand that the world is a better place without her. Wow. You be nice to the people who will write your obituary. There's something, something within us in a moment of hurt, a moment of pain, maybe a lifetime of pain as Gina and Jay had experienced with their mother. Something within us wants that pain to be remembered. We want that pain to be significant. We, we feel it deep. It's significant to us, and so we want it to be significant to other people as well. We want our pain to be memorialized, and so we, we write obituaries like that, or we tell other people about our pain. It, it comes to the point where we, we wear our heart on our sleeves. We, uh, we become known for, for the hurt that we have. We want to keep it alive. We don't want it to be forgotten. We make Facebook posts where we say things like, I'm in a bad mood and I don't want to talk about it. When clearly we do. And in those moments, it feels like our hurt is going to last forever. And some part of us wants to make sure it does. And then we come to Easter. And Easter comes and we remember the pain of the cross. In fact, we memorialize the pain of the cross every Sunday, don't we? We take the cup and the loaf, the body broken, the blood shed. We remember the pain of the cross. But the heart of the Easter story is not the cross. The heart of the Easter story is the empty tomb. The resurrection. The resurrection to new life. A life without pain. A life without tears. A life without sorrows. With no hurts. And not just for Jesus, but that is the hope of everyone who calls on the name of Jesus. Everyone who says yes to Him. And so in light of Easter, in light of the cross, in light of resurrection what do we do with the with our pain do we do we set up a memorial for our pain like Kathleen's children did or do we find a place to to put our pain do we find a place to put it do we find an answer to our pain and maybe a hope do we find a hope that's greater than just remembering our pain and I wonder if Easter shouldn't be able to give us that the problem is when when our pain is our only perspective that we have, when, when our pain is so much in front of us that it's the only perspective that we have, then our hurts feel like they need to be remembered. When we think about our pain, we think about pain or our pain, very often we wonder what God says about the pains that we experience. And so very often we'll want to turn to the Bible and we'll turn to the book of Job. And we don't, we don't often understand everything that Job is about. We don't often know what Job is and how to, how to work this book, what to do with this book. We know a few things. We know that Job was a righteous man. We know that he loses his health. He loses his wealth. He loses his family. And we want to hear something of our pain through the words of Job. We're going to be in Job today. Just a few verses in chapter 19. Job 19, verses 23-27. through 27. If you've got those 
blue Bibles in front of you. It's page 429. If you've got an Apple or, a, or, or Android device with you and you have the Bible app, you can go to the Bible app and pull up all of my notes there also. But we're in Job 19. If you know much about Job, you know that Job has three friends and then a fourth one shows up a little bit later. They come to comfort him and then they end up accusing him. Come on, Job. You must have done something wrong. You're suffering like this. You're being, you're being punished. Just admit that you've done something wrong and, and God is punishing you. But Job just continues to defend his innocence and continues to struggle with the pain that he's suffering. And, and you hear him cry out in this passage. Verse 23, he says, Oh, that my words were written! Oh, that they were inscribed in a book! Oh, that with an iron pen and lead they were engraved in the rock forever. He, he's hurting. And he wants his innocence to be known and he doesn't want his pain to be wasted. He wants his pain to be remembered. That kind of pain leads to people like Gina and Jay writing that obituary for their mother. I could take you to a cemetery not far from here. I won't, but I could. I could take you to a cemetery not far from here to a, a beautiful monument and a black, polished stone. You look at the monument and you know it must have cost quite a bit. And on one side, you see the, you see the, uh, the, the life and the death of that individual. And on the other side of that stone, you would find the most vile, horrible, bitter inscription that you would ever read on a tombstone. It's, it's absolutely awful. And that inscription is there because that family valued their pain more than they valued the one that they lost. And in that moment of hurt, just like Job here, they wanted their pain to be known. They engraved it on rock just as Job wants to do here. Job understands something of that. And if we admit it, we, we probably understand something of that ourselves. It's there in his pain that Job is feeling the injustice of his suffering and he wants it to be remembered. He wants it recorded. Job says, I want it written down in a book. And then he says, no, I, I want it inscribed in a rock. <laughs> I'm hurting and I've, I've done nothing wrong and he wants that to be known. It's not my fault. And I suppose Job got that because here you and I are thousands of years later and we're reading his words in a, in a book. But Job's story doesn't end with his pain. And our story doesn't have to end with our pain either. Because somehow Job finds the strength, a strength that we all need to find, and Job is able to look beyond his pain. He looks beyond his pain and he finds a Redeemer. Now Job is a, it's a difficult book to, to take all at once. And so very often when we come to the book of Job, we just take it in little snippets. We find a few verses here, a few verses there. Part of the problem with that is we run the risk of taking it out of context and just lifting something out because it sounds nice or we might miss out on the bigger picture. But the next verse, verse 25, is a verse that some of you would be very familiar with. It's a verse that's been used in a lot of songs, a lot of hymns, some, some choruses. It's a beautiful verse. But verse 25, before we get to it, don't miss that verse 25 comes right after Job has exhausted himself by defending himself. He's exhausted with his pain. He's exhausted with the search of meaning, the search of significance. And then he turns and he says in verse 25, for I know that my Redeemer lives. 
And at the last He will stand upon the earth, and after My skin has been thus destroyed, yet in My flesh I shall see God. I know that My Redeemer lives. Redeemer. It's one of those words that we almost exclusively use in church or in hymns. We don't really hear it much outside of, the, outside of worship. In Job's day, though, a Redeemer was very important. A Redeemer was a matter of law, a matter of civil law. If you'd been wronged, if you'd been injured or killed, <laughs> think about those commercials in the afternoons for those shifty lawyers. You know the ones I'm talking about? Have you been in an accident? You know, we'll, we'll take care of it. Your Redeemer was the proper use of that. Your Redeemer, if you had been wronged or if you had been killed, your Redeemer is the one who would track down the one who was responsible. Your Redeemer is the one who would get justice for you. They would stand in court for you. They would plead your case. And if necessary, your Redeemer is the one who would pay to buy your freedom. And Job's confidence is that as difficult as his pain may be, as difficult as what he's experiencing is, he's not alone. And it's not escape the notice of the one who will redeem him, the one who will stand for him, the one who will testify on his behalf, the one who will get justice for him. Job says, I know, I know that my Redeemer lives. So what does it take for us to lay aside that desire for our pain to be memorialized? What does it take for us to lay aside that tendency for us to be known by what has hurt us and say, yes, yes, this hurts. And as much as I want this pain to be known, as much as I want it to be engraved, I'm going to trust the One who will redeem this pain. The One who will redeem me. I'm going to trust that the One who redeems me will outlive my pain. And that's Job's declaration here, by the way. Verse 26, after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. By the way, you remember what's happening to Job. He's got this horrible disease where he's got boils all over his body. His flesh is raw. And he's just saying, he's admitting here in verse 26, I may not get better from this. This may take me. This may end up destroying my flesh. I may not recover, but since my Redeemer lives, I will stand before Him someday and He will give me justice. Very often in Job's day, your Redeemer, that person who played that part of Redeemer for you, it was a friend. Or it might have been a relative. Or it was someone that it was a partner. Someone you were in a covenant relationship with. But, but who redeems you if your Redeemer is dead? If your Redeemer is gone, then, then there's no justice for you. But Job identifies, not only does he have a Redeemer, but Job says, my Redeemer is God. In my flesh I shall see God. Even if my flesh is destroyed, even if the monuments I've built to my pain are destroyed, He will stand on the earth and I will see Him. This is Job's Easter story. This is his Easter story. This is Job's empty tomb. This is his risen Christ. And since Job proclaims that his Redeemer lives, you can know that even though your pain may be great, your hope can outlive your pain. The realization for Job here in chapter 19 is important. My Redeemer lives. Chapter 19, he declares it. I know that my Redeemer lives. But there are 23 more chapters to go. 
And there's a lot of trouble in those 23 chapters. In, in the very next chapter, just a couple verses down, his friend Zophar speaks. And Zophar says, you know, wicked people suffer, Job. You're suffering, Job. Connect the dots. If wicked people suffer and you're suffering, then you must be a wicked person. And you know, there can be moments in life where we feel like we finally got a handle on everything, like we finally figured out what the problem is. And you can have this vision of God's grace for you, the love of Jesus, but the pain continues. And so how do we hold on for 23 more chapters? Or how do we hold on through one really bad day? Verse 25, he declares, I know my Redeemer lives. This is his confidence. He is sure of that. But it hasn't just transformed what he knows. It's also transformed his hope. Verse 26, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold and not another. My heart faints within me. That last phrase is a bit of a problem. My heart faints within me. What do we do with that phrase? One translation says, my heart fails within me. Well, that doesn't sound good. I like the way the NIV puts it. The NIV says, my heart yearns within me. And I think that helps us see what it is. My heart yearns within me. I want this so badly, but I don't have the strength to get there myself. I'm going to have to trust in my Redeemer. My heart yearns within me. It's very similar to the phrase we saw in Psalm 73 as we began worship today. Psalm 73, verse 26, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And so rather than carving your pain into rock, let your hope transform you because your hope outlives your pain. The Easter story needs to impact your hurt. I'm not saying that the Easter story makes everything better. I'm not saying that it takes away all the pain. But for you and for me, there's a perspective that the cross brings to our pain, to the pains that we feel. That rather than than take this pain on for ourselves, God took it on for us through His Son. And our pain was taken to the cross. The, The obituary for our pain was written on the cross when Jesus said, it is finished. It was buried in the grave. And three days later, Jesus rose again. How do we hold on to that for 23 more chapters? 23 more years? 50 more years? Whatever it takes. How do we hold on until our Redeemer again stands on the earth? However long that takes. And we see Him with our own eyes. I think think that's why we need each other's stories. I think that's why we need to tell each other's Easter stories. Why we need to see what a living and transforming hope looks like in the lives of the people that we know. So that today, we can declare, I know that my Redeemer lives. And tomorrow, we'll have the strength to continue to wait for our Redeemer. It was Easter 2019. Remember 2019 when things used to be normal? (laughs) Easter 2019. Actually, it was a Saturday before Easter that year. 
Usually nothing happens on the Saturday before Easter. I mean, we have Maundy Thursday on the Thursday night before. We have Good Friday the Friday before. And then Easter sunrise, we have sunrise service. And usually we all just kind of lay back and don't do anything on the Saturday. And Hannah Brimner was with us that year. And she had a class requirement. She had to organize a worship service of some sort. She had found out that that in some Orthodox Christian traditions, they spend Easter Saturday reading through the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. And so we thought, hey, why don't we organize a service where we'll all gather together, we'll invite our friends from the Methodist Church, the Presbyterian Church, anyone else that wants to come, and we'll just read the book of Revelation aloud together. We'll, we'll just read it, spend a couple hours reading it. No commentary. No wondering, what does this mean? What do you see here? Just Let's just read the book of Revelation together. So we all got together. We took turns. and Several people read a chapter here and a chapter there. We just read through it. Paul and Joy were with us that Saturday afternoon. And at that time, Paul was struggling with cancer. Mesophilioma. Man, Joy, if there was ever anyone that could have cried out like Job and said, I don't deserve this. It would have been Paul. If there was ever anyone who could have said, take my pain and you engrave it on a rock because I don't want it to be forgotten, it could have been Paul. But Paul didn't do that. Because Paul couldn't take his eyes off of his Redeemer. He couldn't take his eyes off of his Redeemer. He knew that his Redeemer lived. He knew that his Redeemer still lives. And yet one, and one day yet he will stand before his Redeemer. So that afternoon, we got to the last chapter of the book of Revelation. Last chapter of the Bible. Revelation 22. And as we got to that last chapter, instead of just having one person read it, we all stood together and we read Revelation 22 together. And that picture I took there is of Paul with his arm around joy. And we were reading the first part of Revelation 22, verses 1-5. through It's there that John says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God, and the Lamb through the middle of the streets of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and the servants will worship Him. They will see His face. And His name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no no light of lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Did you hear what John saw? They will see His face. And His name will be engraved on their foreheads. And Job says, I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last, He will stand upon the earth and after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself. And my eyes shall behold and not another. My heart faints within me. Some of you have been holding on to pain for a very long time. You've been holding on to some hurts for a very long time. You have, you have engraved your pain upon your heart. You've tried to engrave it in stone. 
but your pain doesn't have to live because your Redeemer lives. And when you give your life to Him, when you give your heart to Him, He transforms your hope. We're going to take communion here in just a moment. And it's an opportunity for us to remember that our Redeemer lives. One of the key ideas of a Redeemer is that He is the one who buys you back. If you read through the book of Ruth, you see that in the book of Ruth. But Jesus is called our Redeemer several times in, in the Bible. And it's reminded reminder to us that for everything that we've failed, for every, for every debt that we, ever, that we ever got for ourselves, for everything that we cannot take care of on our own, there is a Redeemer who cares for us. And it is Jesus. And He loves you. We're going to sing. Let me pray. We'll sing, and then we'll take together. Father, we've, we have felt pains. We have known hurts. And Lord, in the moment, some of those moments end up lasting decades, but in that moment, the pain has felt so significant. And yet we have those around us that we can look to. People like People like Paul Honnold and others who have shown us the value of taking our eyes and placing them on our Redeemer instead of our pain. And those who have trusted that even though answers may not come in this world, that there is the promise of one day standing before You and knowing that all questions are answered. But more than that, simply knowing that, that we will stand and, and You know us. Lord, thank You for this time that we can spend sharing together this, uh, this bread, this cup. It reminds us that redemption comes with a cost. It reminds us that while well, we could not pay that cost, Your Son did for us. We thank You for the cup. We thank You for the, for the loaf. We thank You for that reminder and we thank You for His love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.